can be seated for a moment. Thank you for being here with us today. This is service number four. Uh, three today, one already this week. Um, you're probably going, have the crowds been like this? They have, even our Easter, our sunrise service was well attended. Uh, I wanna thank you for being here and blessing us with your presence today. Second Corinthians 1.20, let me read this to you. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, the amen is also spoken through him by us for God's glory. Today we're gonna, we're gonna look at Christ. We're gonna, I'm just gonna project the Lord to you and how he is God's yes and amen when it comes to his word, that he is God's yes and amen when it comes to the cross and to the resurrection. I want you to be able to see that today. Uh, we know what yes means. It just means you're, you're, you're saying in agreement to it. But the word amen means uh, surely. The actual translation is surely, meaning truth. It's, going to, it's pointing to truth. And I, I, want to, I want to give you a beginning picture of Jesus this morning. I don't know how many of you here are believers, how many are unbelievers, how many have already found him, or how many of you are in search of him. But I want, to, I want to project to you who the Lord is and how he appears to us through God saying that he is my yes and he is my amen. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't say I am a way, meaning there's multiple ways. He says I am the way. He says I am the truth. He doesn't say I am a truth, meaning that there's a multiple choice of truths. He says, I am the truth or the truth. He doesn't say that I am a way, meaning there's all kinds of ways that you can get to the Father. He says, I am the only way. In fact, he backs this verse up by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except that he come through me. There is no other way to get to the Father than through Jesus. But here's what I want you to see today, that truth, God's amen, meaning he, he's saying he is my amen. God says that Jesus is my amen. He's saying he's my truth. My promises are true, and I say yes to all my promises through Christ. And then Jesus is also my amen, he is my truth. I want you to know that truth is a person. That doesn't, that doesn't get away from the word of God at all, not at all. You need to understand John 1, 1, that won't come up on the screen, but John begins his gospel by telling us that Jesus is the word of God and the word has been there from the beginning. For example, let me break this down for you. When, when we were in creation, some of you all may think this is silly, and I, and I get it. I, I'm a country boy, but I'm a well-educated country boy, okay? He spoke it into creation. Scripture says he spoke it into creation. It happened. He's not only the spoken word of creation, he is the living word. Everything is about him. We'll see that in a moment in scripture. All scriptures, whether it's Genesis in the Old Testament to Revelation in the New Testament, it all speaks of him. He's, he doesn't just mysteriously show up in Bethlehem in the Gospels. He's the one who was, is, and always will be. So he's not only the spoken word of creation, 
He is the living word and he is the written word. He is all of it. So he says, I am truth. I am God's amen. I am God's amen. I am truth. And truth is more than a concept or philosophy. Truth is a person. He doesn't say I am a way, a truth, a life. He says I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I want you to begin by seeing the picture of Jesus being God's yes to his promises and being God's amen or being his truth. I want to get to the scriptures now and how the scriptures picture him and show him. Look at Colossians 1.15. I love Colossians 1. If any of you all are taking notes, um, you're never going to find a clearer description of Jesus in all one big context than you will in Colossians 1. Here's what he says in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Look at the next verses that I've chosen, 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. This is why we make a big deal about Jesus. He is God's yes, he is God's amen. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of the cross, whether things on earth or whether there are things that are in heaven. Isaiah 61.1 is the mission statement of this church. The spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to those in prison. All of our ministries at Hope Church are built around this verse. You're going, well, how does it become our mission statement? Glad you asked that question. Because in Luke 4, Jesus goes to the synagogue and the synagogue has an order of service just like we do, or any church that you attend. And there's a, there's a segment called the reading. And so when they get to the reading, they usually take something from the Old Testament and read it, a scroll. So Jesus, in Luke 4, Jesus goes to the scrolls and he picks the scroll of Isaiah. It says he looks for this verse and he pulls it out and he reads it just like I did to you. Well, the crowd is ooing and aahing over this. But then all of a sudden, something happens in Luke 4. Jesus is declaring that he is this person. The person that Isaiah is talking about, Jesus made a declaration that I am fulfilling this. I am this person. And I want you to see in there, because the Lord has anointed me, is speaking about the Messiah. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the word Messiah means the anointed one. In the New Testament, the word Christ means the anointed one. Both Christ and Messiah mean the anointed one of God. So I want you to see that Jesus is God's yes and amen and the fact that he has anointed him to be on the mission that he is on. And so he's using this verse in Luke 4 to declare this to the people. They didn't like it. In fact, it said they took him, the crowd took him out to a cliff. They were going to kill him, throw him off the cliff. And he was able to maneuver through the crowd and get away because it wasn't, it wasn't his time. Again, I want you to see the fulfillment of Jesus being the yes and amen in scripture. I want you to look at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in the book. 
But these are written so that you may believe in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. All the scriptures are there because they point to Jesus. I wanna tell you a story about after the resurrection, which we're here, that's what we're here for today, and we're certainly gonna get there and stay there. In a moment, I'm gonna show you how Jesus is God's yes and amen in the cross and even in the resurrection. But there's, a, there's an incredible story here, and it's found in Luke. And it is uh, after the resurrection, uh, there are two people traveling on the road and they're going to the city called Emmaus. If you come out of a, a Wesleyan theology or a Methodist denomination, you're very familiar that denomination started what is referred to as an Emmaus walk. It's a spiritual retreat. Uh, people go on, you can't use your phone, you can't, your family can't call you. You really go in isolation and you're there to discover that the Lord has been with you all along. Because the two on the road to Emmaus are traveling, now remember, this is after the Lord's raised from the dead, and they're, they're chatting and they're talking and the Lord joins them, but they don't know that it's the Lord. And the Lord says, well, what are you all talking about? And they go, do you not, you know, like what planet are you from basically? It's like, do you not understand what Jerusalem just did to this man? And all the, all the time, he is the man they're talking about. And he's like listening to the story. Then, then later on, uh, after they break bread together, they realize that he is Jesus. And it, it says in Luke 24, 27, as he's chatting with them, he tells them about how all of scripture points to him. I, 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 you've gotta get this foundationally. You've got to see this. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's a long walk and a long talk. You know what I'm saying? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. When you started the first book of the Bible in Genesis, you're gonna find out that it points to Jesus. And you're gonna find out that everything between Genesis and Revelation all point to Jesus. Why is that true? Because Jesus is God's yes to his promise and his amen, he is, he is his truth. And he will always be his yes and his amen. The resurrection is central to our faith. It is everything to us, everything to us. It was a physical resurrection. And you're going, why pay attention to that? Because it's very, very important. It's, he's not, it wasn't a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't a ghostly resurrection or a phantom resurrection. I, I didn't say this in the second service, but I said it in the first service. I don't know how many of you are the, you're of the generation of Scooby-Doo, right? I grew up watching Scooby-Doo, and uh, you know, there are phantoms in there. They, they always kept the same pose. You know, they never did walk, and they just kind of slid across the screen, you know, and they're always floating above the ground about that high. Well, that, that's, I, I even get that because I had a person have that conversation with me a long, long time ago, and I'm going, no, it's a physical resurrection. It's very important, and you know, I see that, because it's a picture of eternal life beyond the grave for all of us. 
Not only that, it's a picture of one day having our own personal resurrection. I, I, when I was saved at Summersville Baptist Church as a young boy, I was dead, I just didn't know it. I was dead spiritually. Biologically, I was living, but I was dead. And when he saved me, he redeemed my soul. In other words, the resurrection power of God saved me and brought me from death into life. We're gonna to get to that in a little deeper here in just a moment. But I, I want you to see how he redeems everything that he brought to living in life. One day, one day he is going to redeem our souls. He's already doing that in our lives. He's saving us. One day he's gonna redeem this world. John wrote, I saw a new heaven and a new earth because this one was passed away. If you need help with that, and hopefully this will challenge you for a deeper study, just remember the Garden of Eden in the, in the beginning of the Bible and how it has been removed, it's no longer there. And just think of him returning the Garden of Eden back to his earth and restoring it. Uh, he, he's gonna redeem this world again. Not only does he redeem my soul, but he re, he'll redeem this world. And listen, one day he's gonna redeem this old body of mine. And you're going, I, I just don't understand that. Well, Paul wrote about resurrection that it's a mystery. But he said, I, I, don't, I don't want you to be out there in the realm of unbelief that one day, what is mortal will take on immortality. What is corruptible will be incorruptible. One day there'll be a change in our life. Like the twinkling of an eye, there'll be a change. So let, let me help you with this, just, just in a common sense way. You didn't get your soul from Walmart and you didn't order it from Amazon. He breathed it within you. And one of the first things he wants to do is redeem your soul. You and I are, are born in the grip of sin and rebellion. The chain of sin has been wrapped around us and we're in bondage to it. I, I said it one day during a communion here as your pastor, sin will own you. It will own you. If you wanna put it in economic terms, it owns you. But when the Lord saves you, he buys you back. He buys you back. And how does he buy you back? With his life on the cross. If you wanna know your worth and your value, there it is. And so he redeems your soul. And he wants your soul, he gave you that soul. And he doesn't want Satan to have it or the world to have it. He wants it. And so he's doing everything he can to redeem your soul. He created it. He breathed it within us. Then he's wanting to create his world. He created this world, but one day he will redeem that. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be like he's always wanted it to become. He's gonna redeem the world. I say this at just about every gravesite when I have a funeral. If you want a new body, and a lot of us want a new body, you just, you first of all become a believer and you're gonna get one, all right? You're gonna get a new body. And you're going, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, I, that's why he calls preachers. Maybe I can help you with that. 
He's not only going to redeem my soul. He's not only going to redeem the world. He's going to redeem my old body. And you're going, I just don't get that, Jeff. For example, the thief on the cross, the one that believed, he said to him, today you will be with me. Today you'll be with me. Let me take my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law passed away February 17th. And me and my was suffering and she was hurting. Uh, we weren't able to have many conversations with her. Many of you all have been in the same place with your loved ones. So she passed away. I know that she's with the Lord. I know that from scripture. I know that from the promises of God. I know that. But why does he want her body? Why not just leave it like it is? And I'm gonna tell you why. Because what, what he starts, he's going to finish. And what he created, he's gonna bring to completion. He made me, he made you. He made us. And he's, for those of us who believe, he's even gonna redeem our bodies. He's not gonna leave it like that. He's gonna call all of it home to him. And there's gonna be a day that my mother-in-law's grave is going to open up. There's gonna be a day in my life I'm gonna burst through the vault and, the, and, the, and I'm gonna burst through the casket. I'm gonna burst through those, you know, if you wanted to have a superhero move in your life, you just hang on, all right? I'm gonna break through the dirt, the graves are gonna open up and there I'm going to be in resurrection. It's, it, it's important, why? Because he's redeeming everything that he has created. He's redeeming that. And it's very important for you to see. Some of you, some of you are, are probably thinking ahead of me. Well, there's people lost at sea and people burn in a fire. I get it. I even have family that their body has never been retrieved in their traditional way. But doesn't the scripture say even the sea will one day give up its dead? Listen, God knew about DNA long before anybody in the realm of research knew about DNA. Uh, the God that I know can take a pile of bones and put them all back together again in the Old Testament, you know? So you, you've got to realize this, that he's going to, call, he's going to redeem it all and, and make it new. It's important that you see that. His resurrection is not only a picture of life beyond the grave, but it points to what he is going to be able to redeem. It's important that you see us. The, the resurrection is important because it conquers death in the grave. Many of us fear that. We fear that greatly because in our culture, that's associated with something ending. And we know the promises of God. Remember, Jesus is God's yes to his promise and his amen to truth. And we know that it's not associated with ending. We know that it only becomes, it only becomes the beginning. Satan in the gospels was trying to discredit the resurrection. Trying to discredit it. Remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead? Those, those leaders tried to get together and kill Lazarus because they didn't want people believing that there is resurrection. They didn't want that to occur. And so in the Gospels, they're coming up with excuses like Jesus' body was stolen and because and, uh, the disciples wanted to act like he had been raised from the dead. So he's been trying to, to discredit that, cover that up for a long, long time because he knows it's important. 
It's important to our life and our future and our hope. Without the resurrection, our faith is nothing. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching or proclamation is without foundation, and so is your faith. If he's not raised from the dead, you just wasted an hour. You just wasted an hour. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still, you are still in your sins. If Jesus just dies and has no resurrection, then he is just a good teacher who had some great ideas. And there are a whole lot of other people just like him. But we know the resurrection of Jesus makes the difference. And when it, when it comes to scripture, Jesus is God's yes to his promise and his amen to truth. And when it comes to the resurrection, we know that he is, he is, he is God's yes to the promise and he is God's amen to truth. And briefly, we wanna talk about the cross. And I know I can talk about it for a long time, but I wanna put it together with the cross and the resurrection. The cross was for our salvation. In God's view, sin is directly against him. You're, you're thinking, my sin doesn't hurt anybody. Well, God, God has a system. And in that system, your sin is against him. Look at Psalm 51, this is David's confession, verses three and four. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Look at verse four. Against you, David says to God, against you, you alone, God, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless, you are blameless when, when you judge. He, he takes our rebellion personal that it's directly against him. He hates it. But you have to understand another reason why he hates it. It's not only that my rebellion is against him. He hates it because he loves you. And you're going, that doesn't make any sense. Let me help you out. He hates sin because it hurts you. It hurts you. I mean, he draws the line. And he says, don't step over the line. And me and you, just because there's a line drawn, we step over it out of rebellion. Don't tell me what to do. You don't control my life. So there's my rebellion against him. But when I also step over the line that he's drawn, it's not only rebellion against him, he knows that just me doing that has opened myself up to incredible harm. And not only that, to hurting other people. Andrew, when he was a little boy, we lived in St. Matthew's in Louisville off Breckenridge Lane, Jamestown townhouses and apartments across from Baptist East Hospital. And so I, I was a Mr. Mom a little bit. Julie is a nurse, still is a nurse. She worked uh, at Suburban Hospital. It's what it was called at the time. Andrew was just a little kid and uh, I was in seminary. And so we just took shifts taking care of him. She worked three to 11, we had one car. I'd go pick her up and you, you know all that stuff. So, uh, and uh, I was a great cook. I was a great cook for Andrew. I, I fixed chunky soup just about every, every, every evening for supper, you know? And so uh, uh, the, uh, I remember Andrew was amazed by the, the stove eyelet getting red hot. 
I knew he was amazed by that. And we had this little stool, and Andrew would pull up this little stool, and he'd stand on it, and he'd want to touch that red hot, that red hot island. And I'd slap his hand. Andrew, leave that alone. Now, did I do that because I was controlling over Andrew, that I wanted to boss Andrew? No, no, I didn't do that. I told him, leave that alone. You know why I told him to leave that alone? Because I knew it would hurt him. And so Andrew caught me not paying attention, put that stool up there, and he touched that, and it burned his finger, and a little blister pulled up. We put ice on it. Uh, you know, I stuck it in my mouth. You know how we all, you know what we do, yeah. right? <clears throat> and trying to cool it off, and he's crying. And he comes back to me, and he says, Daddy, I'm sorry. Now, did I, did I spank him for doing that, for him coming to say I'm sorry? I did not. I said, son, you're forgiven. But you know what? He still had a burnt finger. You, you, you know, my forgiveness did not take away his burnt finger. He had to live with the consequence of that. You all with me? Yeah. But he, you'll live past that consequence if you follow him out of that. You see, in the, 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 reason, the reason the line is drawn in sin, you all, is because number one, it shows my heart is in rebellion. I don't take that line seriously. Number two, he draws the line because he knows me stepping there will hurt me and it will hurt other people. Actually, the line is there because of his love for us. And so when we sin again, we're sinning against him. And not only that, we're opening up harm for even our very selves. So you got to see that picture that he hates it. He hates it for several reasons, but it's got to be dealt with. In his system of judgment, it's got to be paid for. It won't be swept under the rug. So how is it paid for? Again, Jesus becomes his yes and his amen for our sin, our, the guilt of our sin, the shame of our sin, the rebellion of our sin. He does that. We call this week Passion Week or Holy Week. I'm going to refer to it as Passion Week. I'm going to circle the word passion. Last Sunday, celebrate Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem being recognized as king. Somebody to be, to be dealt with. We know that Thursday of this week, Passion Week, he has his last supper with his disciples. We refer to it as the Lord's Supper now. We have a, a different view of it. Then on Friday, he dies on the cross. It's called Good Friday because it wasn't good for him, but it was good for us. And it's, it's a day of loss. It's a day that you get word that somebody that you love greatly has died. And then Saturday comes, it becomes a day of mourning. If you actually practice Holy Week, Thursday's communion, Friday is a day of, of a great loss, and then Saturday is a day of silence, a day that you are mourning. I, I know from deaths in my family, from my son-in-law to my mother-in-law to my own parents, uh, to family members, I, I know that I love you and we think people want to be around us or we want people around us and that's good that you're there but I've told people when they're grieving, if you want to turn the light off and shut the door and be by yourself, it is okay. Because you, you may have to process all that has happened and just mourn in your silence. 
So Saturday would be set aside as a day of silence. We are mourning the death of our Lord and our Savior. But it's called Passion Week because he did every bit of that out of his love for us. The penalty of our sin has got to be paid. But how did God choose to pay it? Jesus became his yes for the penalty of our sin. And Jesus became the amen of our sins. He let him die and sent him to die on the cross. I'm gonna bring up our arch enemy again, old Satan, because he, he not only wanted to cover up the resurrection of Jesus and discredit it, but he, he, he wanted to stop Jesus from ever going to the cross. I'll show you that in just a moment because he knew what the cross would do against him and for us. There's an encounter with one of the disciples. It's in Matthew chapter 16. It's in verses, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is about shot. Verses 21 through 23. And uh, th this is uh, Jesus teaching about his death, which he taught over and over and over. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, which is what he did last Sunday, Palm Sunday, suffer many things, which he did during the week, from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and then be raised the third day. He taught that over and over. Verse 22, I love Simon Peter. He's a character. Then, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine the audacity of that? I mean, just picture that, that Jesus is teaching about his death and his resurrection. And Paul and Peter goes, says, come here a minute, Jesus. Let's just have a little chat here. Puts his arm around him going, you know, this will never happen to you. And I want you to see how Jesus responds to that. Look at verse 23. But he turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Was Peter Satan? No. But what Simon Peter said in that moment was from the enemy. Because Peter is trying to talk Jesus out of even having to die. You're an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns. You're thinking about man's concerns. Uh, another one, uh, another gospel has Jesus rebuking Peter back, which I'm certain that he did. But you see the picture here. And now here's what's even crazier. A few verses before this, the very same chapter, <clears throat> Jesus asked the question, who am I? And so the disciples are going, well, you're this prophet, that prophet. Well, who do you say that I am? And, and Simon Peter steps up boldly. And he said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. You are God, yes, and amen. And you are the son of the living God. I mean, five or six verses before this one, he gives, he gives one of the greatest declarations of Jesus. And then here, he is talking about you don't have to die. And Jesus wheeled around. You get behind me, Satan, because what Peter said was of the enemy. What's the enemy trying to do? to get Jesus to never go to the cross. That's what he's trying to do here. I don't want you to be able to see that. It, it's important that we understand that he's, he's covering up the resurrection, discrediting it, and he's also attempting to have Jesus not go to the cross. And it's necessary for me and you that he do this. Our salvation includes an understanding of what happened at the cross. Our penalty was paid. 
But instead of me and you paying it, Jesus became God's yes to the cross. He's gonna suffer my wrath instead of you. It's also true of the resurrection. I said this many times to you, and I will always say this to you. The power that raised him from the dead is the power that saves us, and it is the power that sustains us. That resurrection power is still available and active today. And you have parents, those of you who are parents, you have things that you desire for your children, even your grandchildren. And I'm no different with mine. But as a pastor, Jesus is the shepherd, I'm the under shepherd. But as your under shepherd, as your pastor, I desire for you to live in that resurrection power to understand it, that it's available to you. Some of you come to, you come to me and you go, I don't know how I'm gonna get through it. I know how you're gonna get through it. He's gonna give you resurrection power. He's gonna give you endurance to go through. I mean, just even parenting will make you pull your hair out, won't it? You know, when, you've, when you're going on two or three hours sleep and all that, God will sustain you with his resurrection power. He will be able, how, how, do, you, how do you get through 40 days of not eating and all that? Well, it's just the power of God. And so I desire to teach you when nobody else is around and nobody else is looking and you don't have a group to get to and you don't have a consensus, how do I get into the presence of God and how do I tap in that resurrection power that is available to us? Because it's the power that saves, <clears throat> it is the power that raised him that saves us and then it sustains us. And then look at this. The resurrection, because it's happened, has made everything possible to me and you. We have a chance and we have an opportunity because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I wanna read to you the Matthew story real quickly. Matthew, about the resurrection. Let's just walk through it together. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. Remember I've taught you that even creation responds to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, approached the tomb. He's a strong angel, right? He's a strong angel, go back. Yeah, there, thank you. He approached the tomb, he rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and uh, his robe was as white as snow. In verse four, I just think it's funny. Uh, the guards were so shaken from fear of him, they became like dead man. Can't you see him whispering to the other one? Just pretend you're dead. Just, 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 just act like we're dead. I mean, the earthquake coming, an angel coming. Wonder how many people it took to roll the stone over the grave opening. And here an angel came and I've just got him spinning it like a, base, like a basketball on his finger in my mind, you know? I mean, he's just rolling the stone away and he, they're shaking, they became like dead men. But the angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Let me teach you something about angels. Angels always know where Jesus is. They, they know where their Lord is. Uh, many times you'll read in the scriptures that something happened and it said, and the angels descended on him and ministered to him. Sometimes we forget about the, the, the glory 
of just having the guardian angels that are even around us. Sometimes I forget about them. I, I hate to say that to you, but I, I can. I, I hope we don't. Uh, and he, he knows. They know where Jesus is all the time. It's, he, doesn't, he doesn't have an apple tag on him and all that, but they know, they know where he is. He, he's not here, for he has been raised. He's risen. He's resurrected, just as he said. They even know what he says. Come and see the place where he lay. <clears throat> Verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead. In fact, see where they know where he is? In fact... He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you that he is risen. 1 Peter 1.3, we sing this song often at Hope Church, and it's about our hope is alive because Christ is alive. The resurrection brings every opportunity to you. All God's promises are still on the table. Uh, he, he is God's yes and amen when it comes to scripture. He's God's yes and amen when it comes to the cross. He takes our place instead of us. He's God's yes and amen when it comes to the resurrection. My promises are not dead because my yes and amen is not dead. They are true and they are forever. And he is risen. And my hope is alive because Christ is alive. And you've got a chance. And today I pray that you take it. I pray that you surrender to it. Um, at a point of invitation, I'm gonna pray over you. Have you stay in our counselors to come. But if you're here and you're in need of prayer, come. These people will pray with you and pray for you. Pray over you. You come. Surrender to him today. When it comes to what you need to do to change, to become new, Jesus is God's yes. When it comes to the truth that you need to understand in your life, he's God's amen. He's everything. He's all of it. That's why the death and the grave couldn't hold him, couldn't keep him, because he's God's yes and he's God's amen. And he's no longer with us on this earth. But where is he? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that's exactly where I want him. He's there directing the church. He's there directing the Holy Spirit. And he is there, he's there interceding for me and you to the Father. He is doing that now. That one day there'll be a day that he comes back. And one day he will redeem everything. He redeems our souls. He redeems this world. He will even redeem those old bodies that he gave us. It's his. He bought it back. And he will return it to himself. I just pray that you see how much he loves you and what he has done for you. He's God, yes. And he's God's amen. Let me pray. Father, I pray over our people today. Pray over decisions that need to be made. I pray that you give them courage to be able to make them even today. And Father, we're here to celebrate your son, what he did for us on the cross and how he's been raised from the dead. And we thank you for the indescribable gift of Jesus. It's in his name that I pray and that we pray together. Amen. Church, would you stand with me? Counselors, find your place. The team's going to lead us. The invitation is this. Whosoever will, for whatever reason today, you come.